Shemaya Holmes was murdered on December 27, 2008, and this is her mother's story. Hello. Hi, it's Kelly calling from Morning the Murdered podcast. Hi, Kelly. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Morning the Murdered is a podcast I created because in 1999, a friend of mine was murdered. My name is Kelly, and I am your host. I saw the effects that murder have on family members, and I wanted to give a voice to the loved ones of murdered victims. Every week, I interview the family member of a murder victim. So please be sure to tune in every Thursday to hear their stories on Morning the Murdered podcast. Seattle is a seaport city in the west coast of the U.S. in the state of Washington. It is a large city with a population of just under 4 million. Microsoft founder Bill Gates is a Seattleite by birth, and Microsoft became established there in the 80s, aiding Seattle to develop into a technology center, very different than the logging industry, which was its original major industry. Amazon was also founded here in 1994. The stream of internet and software companies had a great impact on this city's economy, and the minimum wage here is one of the highest in the country. The surrounding areas of Seattle lend itself well to various outdoor activities such as sailing, skiing, biking, hiking and camping year-round. The Seattle area is the cloudiest in the U.S., with many more rainy days than other cities in the country. In the city, you can indulge in the underground donut tour that brings you to try the specially crafted donut samples at each location for you. Then you can walk the aisles of JFK's Air Force One and climb aboard the West Coast's only Concorde, barrel roll a Mustang, land on the moon, and sit at the controls of the world's fastest jet. From the Wright brothers to the exploration of Mars, you'll find it at the Museum of Flight. What was the day of her birth like? <laughs> that was the funniest story ever. I was a teenage mom. I was a teenage mom, so Shemaya was born when I was 16 years old. And she was born July 21st of 1990. And I was eating watermelon and I felt pain in my belly and I didn't know what it was, obviously. And I didn't want to go to the hospital because I wanted to stay at the barbecue and eat food and watermelon. I didn't want to miss the party. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it. <laughs> so the pain increased. Uh, the time got shorter. I had to take the ambulance to the hospital. I was so dead set on giving a natural birth. I had this whole idea that I was strong. Women been doing this for years. I can do this. I don't need an epidural. Just get this baby out. And my mother was there. The Summer Olympics was in Seattle, Washington at the time. And they were running outside of the hospital. So my mom was downstairs watching the Summer Olympics. And she comes up in the elevator and she hears, give me the medicine. Now. And she does a about turn and goes back downstairs and finish watching the thing. She knew it was me. 
So I had to have an emergency epidural and I had to have an emergency C-section because my daughter was born 11 pounds, 4 ounces, and 21 inches long. And so I didn't meet Shamaya until she was two days old. Oh, and how did that make you feel? I was relieved that I no longer had her inside because it was horrible. Well, beautiful, but horrible um, being a kid. And I was excited to meet her. And she hit the news. She was the biggest baby that had ever been born in the University of Washington Hospital at that time. So she made the news. She made the newspaper. It was a really big deal for a teenage mom. Wow. That's that's so exciting. My goodness. As the Summer Olympics were being held here, it was a very exciting time in the city with many people trying to catch a glimpse of these well-trained and respected athletes, wanting to be part of the thrilling and possibly record-shattering sport that were to be competed in. By luck, the runners were racing right by the hospital while Freedom was in labour, so her mother had the opportunity to see some of the activity live. When Freedom's baby was born, the excited grandmother was calling out, is it a boy or a girl? And finally, she heard the happy news. A granddaughter for her. A daughter for this young mother. Shemaya was born. She was brought home and loved and cuddled and enjoyed by her family. Her very first smile was so beautiful and carried with her through her entire life lighting up entire rooms with the glow that emanated not only from her beauty, but from within this compassionate and confident young woman. Shemaya had a sister, born 18 months behind her, to a mother that was still only 17 years old. This sister became her best friend right from the start. They loved each other so freely and truly and did everything together. Her two brothers followed a few years later, and they were a happy, healthy, and close family. Shemaya's mother, Freedom, decided to move from Seattle. She didn't enjoy the rainy, cloudy days and set out, as a single mother, moving to Phoenix, Arizona, where she welcomed the sunshine that poured into her home each day, making her feel as though each day was bringing something new, A brand new day where anything could be accomplished. It was a beautiful move for all of them. What was the relationship like with the other children and Shemaya? Shemaya and her sister were best friends. They were so close. They were best friends. It's one of those ideal relationships where your best friend gets to spend a night every night. They were very close. And tell me, what was Shemaya like as a baby? What type of personality did she have? (laughs) have you ever met a child well I'm sure you have you know when you meet a baby and you're just very sure that they've been here before if she didn't like you she said it Um, if she loved you she hugged on you if she didn't want to hear you she ignored you Um, she had a very strong willed personality from birth Uh, very 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 articulate in her words I could imagine we said it all the time she was going to be an attorney or a debater something of that sort, because she always was the kid who said why. Everything needed an explanation. You could never just tell her something and she would take it at face value. 
As she got older in school, what was she like? Science, bugs, snakes. She loved frogs. Anything that was reptilian size, she had uh, frogs. We've had gerbils. She's always had a pet, find something, bring it home. Dogs, cats. She loved animals. Um, when she got in middle school and they started doing science and dissecting, her feelings were really hurt. She did not want to participate in cutting a frog and dissecting a frog. She was very upset about that. Um, we always had strays. She would want to stop, feed a dog. And her and her sister were best friends. What types of things would they like to do when, when they were together? Mm, double Dutch, Barbie, play. They always played against me. It was always the two of them against me oh, all the time. That was challenging for you then. For sure. For sure. They always had each other. They were the best friends. I mean, they just did regular sister stuff from getting in trouble together to sneaking together to not tattletelling on the other one. Both of them would get in trouble if one of them did it. They just were connected at the hip. They were connected at the hip. That's beautiful. What types of things did she like to do? Was she involved in any sports or was she really mostly a home a homebody? She was not into sports teams. She'd always have a problem with uh, following the direction. She wanted, like I said, she had a strong spirit. So the team player, she didn't get into it much. She loved to dance. Um, she loved to sing, karaoke. They always put on skits and plays. Very artistic. My um, sister, their auntie, who they love to death, is very artsy, always painting and sewing and so they would have paint parties and they would do dress up and makeup and put on skits and plays and sing and just girl stuff. She loved to roller skate. Um, she loved being outside. Like I said, she loved animals. So birds, dogs, cats, everything had her attention. She had a butterfly farm that we got maybe three butterflies and then they died and she was super sad. She loved animals. She had this connection to spirit that was amazing, almost like they talked to her, like she, that was her happy place. Shamaya would feed stray animals. Her mother had to be in the habit of buying dog and cat food to ensure that Shamaya would always have some on hand as she would come home after walks, saying we need to go and feed a dog that I saw. He needs food. Why don't his owners care for him properly? feeling heartbroken at the prospect of this animal not having shelter for the night. Her spirited personality always shining through. She was not going to take no for an answer. There was an injustice in these abandoned animals having their needs not having been met, and she was going to fight for them. When Shamaya turned 16, she got in some trouble at school for fighting. The police were involved, and she was charged and sent to live in a reform school for girls that use horses in their therapy. When she came back home to live, they all worked at reconnecting and getting back on schedule. Her sister was still in high school, and this particular day, Shamaya's mother was working, and her younger sister was at a function where she was named cheer captain. Her mother was devastated that she was unable to attend. We play favorite in our life, not with people, but with responsibility. You know, work is mandatory. So 
it's a favorite, but it's not our favorite. We don't find time to do the things that are important. I should have been there when my daughter made cheer class. That was an experience that she was looking in the crowd for her mom, but we don't because we're on the cycle and this check makes a difference, right? Absolutely. Working hard to earn money as an enrollment counselor, having to live and pay the bills, running a busy household with four children that were growing, it was hard to find that difficult work-life balance. Shemaya's mom was thinking of her younger daughter, wishing her well in her mind and her heart, but not in person, feeling the guilt about that, thinking that she should be anywhere but working on this beautiful Saturday, thinking of her two younger boys as well, and of course of Shemaya, her gorgeous daughter. The daughter that had found herself in trouble and was working to integrate back into family life and society. Her mom, freedom, thinking all of these thoughts at work when the phone begins to ring. A regular day in the busy mom's life, but soon that would all change. This is the story of Shemaya Holmes' murder. On Saturday morning, it's 9 o'clock in the morning, her sister just turned 18 years old. It was her 18th birthday. And we get the phone call from California Highway Patrol. And it says that your daughter was murdered in Riverside, California, last night. And I said, you have the wrong number. Please don't call me at work. And I hung up the phone. And the police officer called back and he said, Ms. Pearson, this is a serious matter. Is your daughter Shemaya Holmes? Um, and I said, this is not a good joke. Please don't call my job anymore. Don't play games. And I hung up. Third time the phone rang, it was my eldest niece that was also in my home at the time. And she's crying and she says, Auntie, it's not a joke. Take the call. So I take the call. He tells me my daughter was murdered in Riverside, California that night before on her sister's birthday. And could I be in Yoruba County, you know, so that I could do an investigation. They wanted me to identify the body. So again, this is Saturday. I'm mandated 60 hours. I got to be there until four. I leave, get up, walk out of my job. Don't think about what happens. Get on the freeway. A friend of mine, very, very close friend of mine, um, he quits his job to drive me. And we go to Yoruba County to identify the body. And we get there Sunday night. Um, and Monday is when I'm supposed to meet with the coroner. So Sunday, we're driving. I just feel like Spirit's going to take me to where she was. I just feel like, where did she last sleep? Where did she last walk? I didn't have any of this information. How did we get here? Why are we in California? It's this whole thing, but I'm in this space because it's still very unbelievable. Like, this, they have to be wrong. When I'm going to look at this body, it's not going to be my daughter. Word of mouth is such a powerful tool. So please help us to reach as many listeners as possible and tell a friend and let them know that we can be found on their favorite podcast platform. Also, don't forget to join our Facebook group, Morning the Murdered. I want to send a big thank you out there to all of our supporters. You can donate to the Morning the Murdered podcast through Patreon or PayPal at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's 
M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E-M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com. Thanks so much for your generosity. And now, back to the show. They were living five hours away from where the police were telling her that her daughter had been murdered. This mother had no idea what was going on. This couldn't be happening. This couldn't possibly be true. Her daughter's father had been incarcerated for many years and was now released from prison. He and his new wife had just given birth to twins. Shemaya's little siblings, and she was very excited to meet them. During her father's time in prison, he tried to keep in touch. There were prison programs that he would take part in when he got the chance. You could send small gifts to your children, and he had sent Shemaya a dolphin ring. She was around 13 years old when she got it, and she had never once taken it off since. It was a connection that she had with this father that wasn't present in her daily life. This young girl wanted to know her father and have a relationship with him. She and her mother were speaking about her going to visit. The plans were being discussed, but no concrete plans were ever made. It seems she had made a decision without her mother and decided to go ahead and visit him. Freedom and a friend hopped in a car and drove down there, knowing the police were wrong, praying the police were wrong. Tell me about the day that you found out your daughter had been murdered. I'm walking on Studio Place in Riverside, California. And interesting enough, Miss Kelly, I didn't have any idea where it happened. It just gave me an area. Um, and so I'm following spirit like this must have been, this must have been, oh, this is where teenagers hang out. This must have been. And I find myself parked and I see like yellow tape. So we turn and we find our way to this fourplex, which is the back of the place on the street where the accident happened. Now, again, I hadn't talked to Yoruba County Police yet. I have no idea this is my daughter's spot. I just see yellow tape and I'm assuming this is it. So when we get out, the family comes out and they run out and they say, are you the family of the young girl who got hit last night? And I said, yes, did you see it? And so the families are giving me all this information that I'm trying to cycle through and hear and can you guys take us? So they allow us to walk through their backyard because this is the only way you can get to the side of the freeway comfortably without blocking traffic. And we walk through their backyard, some sticker bushes and this thing to get out here to the Space and you see this big spot where blood was on the street. And I'm like, well, did you guys see what happened? And the lady says, I was sitting in here and I heard a great big bang. And when I looked out, there was a body in the road and she had on a coat and the hood was on top of her head. So she was face down on the ground and she was bare feet. And the police are all amazed. Like, I, 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 you drove from Phoenix, Arizona, and you drove right to the spot where your daughter was murdered at. That is amazing. And I said, I know. That's why I know it's not my daughter. I'm still in this place, Kelly. I'm still in this place. It's still not my child. I haven't laid eyes on her. This can't be true. So then I go, and we can't identify the face because, obviously, it was damaged. 
she had a tattoo on her upper thigh with her name on it. So show me a picture. Is this your daughter's? Like, yes. I still don't believe it's my child. Now, I'm going to fast forward a little bit because it's relevant. I didn't believe that this was my child or that this was happening. I look forward to her walking through my door every day for two months after her funeral. I didn't cry. It was still unreal to me. This could possibly not be the truth. Who, what kind of God do we serve? We have somebody like who I was. I took care of my kids. I raised my sister's kids. Like you show up for people. I'm, I'm saving other kids. There's no way in the world God could take my kid. Like that's not, that's not the God that we grow to know and, you know, do this. This is my battle. It's a spiritual battle though, Kelly. Has nothing to do with the physical realm. It's spiritual. And I'm trying to figure out how do you, do we, do me, how do I be in this place that's so unreal? At this point now, the tears are coming. There were no tears prior. None. I couldn't cry. Tears now start to come. I'm finally feeling this impact of absence of flesh, but still feeling her very, very close. So I'm still convinced if I still feel her this passionately, she has to still be alive. After you identified the tattoo, what happened next in that process with the police? What what did they do and how do you feel the investigation went? Um, uh, my personal investigator, uh, Detective Callahan, I feel like he was as much involved with my daughter's murder as he would be if it was his own with this particular officer. Really? So that's wonderful. I say that to you, Miss Kelly, because I told you I was trying to solve my own daughter's murder, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I was that frantic person. I was calling Detective Callahan phone one, two o'clock in the morning, like, hey, I was just watching this movie and I think this is, do you think that's possibly what happened? Everyone grieves differently. Shamaya's younger sister threw her grief into her books. She jumped into her schoolwork, studying hard, working to get her classes done. She graduated high school a year early. Shamaya died on her sister's 18th birthday. The sorrow that wells up each day, having that extra degree added each year as she adds a new candle to her birthday cake. Thinking about the sister she loved so much, the best friend, sharing the anniversary of her murder. Freedom was struggling and had to plan the funeral for her child, something that had never crossed her mind, something no mother ever considers she will be doing. This mom, depressed and losing all hope, wondering how she would get through the next minute, let alone the day, was also losing her faith. We do the funeral. Um, I ship Shemaya's body back to Seattle, Washington. We do it there with all her family, my family, everything. And then Shemaya's cremated and we put her in to change for all my kids. We all have her around our neck and then I have the rest of her at home. So fast forward to the funeral, a couple months after the funeral, not being able to cry and then tears show up. And I tell you, this is real. This is a battle. Now I'm questioning everything I've ever known. Spirituality, relationship with God, Christ, like all these things are done. So they said, you know, in the middle of the night, midnight hour, God's going to turn around. You're going to feel joy. I'm like, I'm not feeling joy. Like at this point, I'm ready to commit suicide. I have a gallon of Grey Goose vodka. I'm drinking it. I have my nine millimeter gun. 
I've locked my door in my bedroom. My kids have not seen me for three days. Oh. I have not taken a shower at this point for weeks. Um, the same friend who gave me the book shows up and she fights me, physically fights me. Get in the freaking shower, but the other F word. And I'm like, don't come over here telling me what to do. Like, you know, you can leave with everybody else. Now, this time she's broke into my room. She's picked my lock and she's come into my room without my permission. Get up, get in the freaking shower and take care of yourself. You got other kids out here that are waiting for you to show up. And we're arguing. I'm like, go home. So she runs the bath and she pushes me in the bathtub fully clothed and like, take a fucking bath. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I know I couldn't probably say that bad word. Take a freaking bath. Wash yourself. Take care of yourself. I'm going to go feed the kids. I'll see you when you get out. I'm in the tub boohooing. I'm crying. I don't want to do this. I'm taking off my clothes. Fast forward, I come out. She cleans my home. She feeds my kids. She loves me. She hugs me. She tells me I'm going to pick up the kids, take them to school. I'm going to come pick them up every day. But every day that I do this, you need to do something for yourself. Take a walk. Go outside. Get some fresh air. Swim in the pool. Do something. But you have to get out this bedroom. So now she started this thing of love. Now you feel love again. And it doesn't feel like love. It feels forced. Right? But you're acceptable to it because it feels good that somebody gives a damn that you're in this dark place and you haven't showed up to the world for a week. Freedom in this desperate state was absolutely feeling hopeless. She knew she had to do something. So she picked up the phone and called her pastor but there was no answer. It was 2.30 in the morning, but she needed someone to speak to. She doesn't know at this point how to live with these emotions. She can't sleep, and it feels like her blood is just boiling up inside of her. She calls her pastor again, but still there is no answer. Her agony feels like it is about ready to take control of her. A week before her daughter's murder, a friend had family in from Panama. This friend's cousin gave her a book on angels that she had shelved, not being part of the deep Christian faith she had and always had believed in. Angels were not part of that. That day, she had been so angry that she had been given this book, thinking they were not respecting her beliefs. She had left her friend's house angry. I say, God, if you're real, you've got to show up because I can't do this. I don't understand. You need to give me a picture. I need to know what's going on. And I have this gun. And when I just sat back on my bed, the angel book fell that they had gave me a previously before. And when the angel book falls, Tammy Baker's, the psychic card falls out of the angel book. What is this card? Psychic, biggest thing on the card. I was afraid to call the psychic because spiritually we're taught that it's wrong. It's evil. It's the devil. It's not the right thing to do. So it's 2.40 in the morning, and Tammy Baker answers the phone and says, Hi, Freedom. And she scared me. I said, How do you know my name? She says, I've been waiting for you to call. I hung up. How could she be waiting for me to call? This is the devil. This is not right. I never talked to this lady. Nothing. Now I'm mad at my best friend. Like Now she's, oh, now I know she's talking my business. Blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm back in this place. The spirit won't let me be mad. So I read out. And I call her back. And she just says, I'm ready when you are. And I said, how do you know my name? How did you know I was going to call? And she said, your best friend, Nicole, 
is in a class at Sweeha, Southwest Institute of Healing Arts, with my sister. And she shared with my sister your story. And I told my sister to give her my card, give her my card. And if you ever needed to call, to call. And I've been waiting for you to call. When they first started praying, she could hear the familiar words. And listening for those familiar words, she begins praying along with her. A connection was beginning to slowly creep in between them. Then the prayers became personal, and Freedom knew that she was beginning to tunnel out from her darkness as the praying felt like two people joining together. So she tells me, I said, well, what happened? Can you tell me what happened? And she's telling me that Shemaya says that she's well and that she's in heaven and that she's singing and that she's there with Lady B. Do you know who a Lady B is? And I'm like, Lady B? No, I don't know. Now, at this point, I told you I've been locked in my room for weeks. I have all her investigation paperwork on my bed. I put my husband out my bedroom. He hasn't been able to sleep in our room at all. I, this is the complete investigating Shemaya's murder space. Nobody's in here if you're not investigating Shemaya's murder. So I have books, beds, pens, rights, notepads, everything I'm trying to figure out. My own daughter's freaking murder. And her obituary in the newspaper is right there. And I look down and on top of my daughter's obituary, like a week prior to my daughter passing, um, one of our good friends passed in Seattle and her name was Deborah Armstead. Deborah Armstead used to be my kid's choir teacher in Seattle, Washington, and they would pick them up in a van and take them to church and do choir and teach them how to sing. But when you read through Deborah's obituary, she used to sing in the nightclub in Los Angeles by the name of Lady B. As they are speaking, she is told that they will never get answers. But Shemaya is telling her to take care of the other children, leave your bedroom, and that she is well. Freedom is left knowing that she can call back at any time and more answers will be there. As she is sitting there listening, Freedom begins to really hear the words. She is told how her other daughter is struggling as well and needs to grieve. She needs you to tell her it is okay to grieve. I got up, I went outside, I went in my other daughter's room, and sure enough, when I went in there, she jumped up, she wiped her tears. Are you okay, Mom? Can you do, do you need anything? Can I do something for you? And I was like, no, but you can grieve. And when I hugged her, she fell into my arms. She needed that belief that I was okay so that she can then be okay. And Tammy gave me that. I had no idea. When you are grieving, it is hard to hear what people are saying to you. You can barely comprehend what is happening. Those that love you are talking, but sometimes it just sounds like noise. Your grief is so deep that although they are saying comforting words, you can't really hear them. All you hear is the words that you had dreaded, that your child is dead. These words are swirling in your head on a continual cycle of sadness. You become withdrawn and cannot accept what is happening. At least that was the case for freedom. Orange County, at the time of Shemaya's murder, was the number one county for human trafficking. Freedom believes that her daughter fought and fought until she finally managed to escape 
and was somehow flung from the car of the people that were trying to abduct her. A witness heard the deadening thump as Shemaya was hurled from the moving vehicle. This case is still not solved, and this grieving mother has no answers. There are still so many discrepancies in what happened. The witness saw Shemaya lying there on the ground at the side of the road, no shoes on, wearing a jacket that Freedom had purchased for her daughter. Freedom went back to visit the site frequently and always went to see the woman who had been there the night of her daughter's murder. When Freedom went to get her daughter's possessions, the report said she was wearing shoes, described to this mother but not recognized by her as anything she wore or owned, and the shoes were never found. The police also had no jacket to show for. Freedom holds Aruba County responsible for not doing their job. They didn't investigate Shmaya's case too thoroughly, and another girl lay there murdered with no one being held accountable. The only item Freedom was given when she went to the police station was a purse that did not contain any of her daughter's signature lip gloss that she always wore. She always carried two with her, cherry and watermelon flavors, and inside this purse was a wallet that belonged to another girl. So many unanswered questions. There was no dolphin ring. Everything seemed wrong. Everything was wrong. What happened to her daughter's possessions, and whose were the ones she was given? I need to talk to, you know, property. There was a dolphin ring. So now I'm frantic, because now I'm going off at the police station. They have to calm me down. My friend's taking me outside like free breeze. A little overwhelmed. Give her a second. Give her a second. And I'm like, somebody stole her ring. So I'm throwing picture after picture after picture after picture after picture. This dolphin ring has not come off this girl's hand for about five years. Oh my goodness. At all. Since she got it. Because her daddy gave it to her. It was her prized possession. She got it on Christmas. On time this year. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. She got it. A present from her father from the penitentiary. This was maybe 12, 13, so five, six years prior when she got this. This ring never came off. So how can I have pictures of us cooking and the rings in her? Pictures of her hanging in the backyard and she has the ring on her finger. But now you tell me there's no ring. There's no ring. There's no lip gloss. And this is not her wife. What did the coroner put as the cause of death? Blunt trauma to the head. The blood. The mark. It wasn't a... The the trauma was to the upper left eye and the forehead and the top head. So as if you take something upside down and hit it on the ground, that's what be the damage. It wasn't safe. Her mouth wasn't messed up. The nose was hurt from the top. The top of her head and her eye, the cranium in her eye, that was messed up as if somebody tossed her out of the vehicle like a bag of trash. And then that's what Justin needed to start doing my research of human trafficking, and this is the number one city. And Shemaya was beautiful. When she smiled, she lit up the entire stadium. Her Aww. smile was so addictive, and she laughed from her belly. And they're considering it a cold case now? Yep. Oh, how tragic. And they have no leads, like nothing, zero. They don't know anything about this. 
nothing. Freedom continued reaching out to her new spiritual advisor. This is a one-on-one coaching, and now Tammy's giving me her inside of what she feels spiritually of spirits choosing their assignments prior to coming here, you know, and your daughter chose you. And the lesson that you were supposed to get, I can't give it to you. I don't know what it is. It's going to be self-finding. You're going to have to figure it out on your own. But the message of Shemaya's death was for you. So mm-hmm. I told you my best friend went to Sweeha, holistic healing. I was a Christian. She was not. So now we're going. And I go to Southwest Institute of Healing Heart when I start feeling better. And I'm going to enroll in school. I want to do meditation classes just for myself. And I go to the, um, enroll. They have a free weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, three days, that you can try to class out. And if you like it, then you can enroll in those hours would apply to your certification. So I'm in Sweeha. I'm in the meditation class. This is my whole new tribe. Nobody who went to this school went, in my class went to my best friend's class. And two people come up and hug me. And they say, Freedom, we love you. We've been waiting for you to come. I'm like, how do you guys know about me? Anyway, my best friend had had this conversation. They were like, we were waiting for you to come. We have really great stuff for you. And we're going to do a guided meditation. And I had never meditated before. This is brand new for me. I don't know what to do. So I'm the girl who's opening her eyes, looking to see if everybody else's eyes are closed or what we're doing. And we're doing this encompassing circular meditation where we're sitting 100 people on the ground and each person has their hand on the other person's knee mm-hmm. and they're guiding us through this very colorful meditation spiritually and I see the color yellow but my yellow was not a flat my yellow was lips like my daughter's lips I could see yellow lips right spiritually I've never felt this close to spirit in church in all my life right this is opening for me because now I'm growing spiritually I'm getting past the mundane traditional you know textbook written spirit right relationship with god this is your relationship with god you pray you go you go whatever now it's intimate you know it's very intimate i feel him inside of me and me inside of him i feel her i feel this this vibration i'm in these tears are flowing and we're done with the meditation but i'm still in this and everyone around me is touching hands on me they know my story so they're all touching me for healing and the lady next to me says freedom has yellow lips in her aura And I opened my eyes, like, how did you see my lips? Mm. Right? And the other lady says, hey, there's a young girl waving, right? And now I look behind me, like, how do you know my daughter's here? And then the lady to the left of me says, hey, there's another little girl hugging her. And so they're they're telling everything I see, these people connected to me who are touching me, they're giving me my thoughts, Kale. They're giving me my spiritual, what I, where I was mentally, where I was spiritually, where I was in the spiritual realm. They're reading everything that I've seen when I was in this meditation state. So now this has changed my incomplete thought about spirit. She's not dead. Spirit doesn't die. It's ever flowing. Her job here physically was done. She still has other stuff to do. Spirit doesn't lay down. So I don't say rest in peace anymore. They're not resting. It's on to the next journey. So I say I send you love and light on your next journey. Thank you for allowing me to experience you in this time. It's ecstatic. There's nothing calculating because you're figuring stuff out. But when somebody gives you love that's genuine, spirit to spirit, it breaks through and you can connect. So now I'm connected to the spiritual energy and it just feels good. I'm not sad anymore. I'm not crying anymore. I can tell my daughter's story and don't feel sad for me or other mothers. Now when I hear the other mothers speak, 
I never take away from their story. I just sit in this conduit of love so that while they're emptying, I can refill them with something that feels better. And let me ask you, people out there listening that would like to follow along the same journey that you have, where could they find information to understand more about it? They're not going to like my answer, Kelly. Okay, they, they don't have to like it at all, then that's fine. But what would you tell them? They have to do the work. Okay, I you see. You can't be afraid of the dark. Right. You have to sit in that darkness. You have to feel it. You have to. You have to cry, you have to feel it, you have to yell, and then you have to sit there and wait for spirit to give you the next thing to do. The direction is inside of you. We have our own GPS. That's God's plan. That's your GPS. What works for me is not going to work for you. Right. The blueprint's the same. Do you recommend that people meditate? Do you think that's an important part of your healing and grieving process that helped you get through those days? Mandatory. Absolutely. And it doesn't take away from prayer. But see, we've been taught the shortcuts. We're the microwave generation. We want everything right now. So when we sit down and pray, we say, dear father, thank you. Please bless me. I love you. Amen. And we go about our day. We never sit quiet and let him respond. Right. That's the meditation. Prayer and meditation are hand in hand. You can pray all day. You can talk to God all day. But if you get up and don't sit down and wait for him to respond, you'll never get your answers. I let go of everything. That had an attachment that made me feel that I was attached to it. It was a free, it was a freedom. Um, I released her ashes in the water. Um, I let it go. I no longer wear her around my neck. I'm no longer bound by that. I no longer wear a watch because I don't want to be a slave to time. There's certain things that happen in this spiritual growth that it released me from a lot of this matrix living and thinking. And so the obituary hanging on my wall was a constant reminder of the sadness that I felt, not the celebration that I got now because I lost one daughter, but freedom of you love anyhow. I have gained so many other young women that call me Mama Freedom. I now get when Tammy says that Shemaya was sent to me as a gift. I was 16, remember? I was. I had my own story and I wanted something to love me and I needed to know love and God gave me Shemaya and I got Shemaya for 18 years and then Shemaya passed. And then when Shemaya passed, I still got that energy of that message of love. I still had to get that. That was what she was here for. So I don't grieve my daughter in a way that a lot of other women may grieve. And that's not an attack or, an, you know, not to take away anything how they do it at all. Because I respect space and I respect choice. I just always have to make sure that when I speak of Shemaya, I can no longer take myself back to that sad place. Because Shemaya's life and her story is not sad. It's changed lives. It made a difference. It has other women fixing their relationships with their children. It has other young girls that's owning their stuff that they're able to walk in their power and speak. Love Anyhow is all about self. Choosing. Choosing because it feels better. And so I don't have a sad, I don't have an obituary. I got rid of anything that might have taken me back to the gray, sad area because it never felt good. And I was not making an impact on this earth grieving. This mother has decided to help other women learn different ways to cope, to grieve, to learn how to live each day with their new reality, the reality they have to face each day without their child. Freedom has taken steps to begin to heal herself, but has also chosen to help others. 
another powerful woman making her community a better place. Thank you again so much for being with me today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for your opportunity and holding space, and thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for being a conduit of change for us. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome, and I appreciate you being here today. Have a great day. Have a blessed one, Kelly. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm not quite sure how people move on after a tragedy. There are support groups online and face-to-face, and there are books and family and friends to lean on. But in reality, when someone loses a loved one to murder, they lose a piece of themselves that can never be returned. Memories are all that are left. So talk about your loved one. And let the world know how important they will be to you forever. These memories become valuable treasures. No one will ever understand your pain. But surround yourself with those that can understand how important it is for you to share your story. I will now light a candle for the victim and their loved ones, ensuring their memory lives on and burns brightly. You are remembered. I want to take a moment and extend my most sincere and humble gratitude to each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, or if you would like your voice to be heard on Morning the Murdered and tell the story of your loved one, email me at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E-M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com. Thank you to Dennis for editing this podcast. You are absolutely indispensable. Thank you so much. A huge shout out to Patrick for creating the original music that you hear. And the artwork for this podcast was created by Talia with support from Matt and Mick. Thanks so much, guys.